Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Tuesday, March the 6th, 2012, and this is episode 853 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a great show lined up for you guys today. Again, I'm going to tell you not to skip the uh, intro segment, or at least don't skip all of it, because I have some interesting news for you about what happened last night at our place as part of the intro segment. Once we get that done, though, I have Lisa Majors on the line. Lisa is building an earth bag home right here in Arkansas, just north of me. And uh, she's going to talk about how to build uh, a home like this. They're building a fairly substantial home, uh, and basically she calls it a fortress for about a $10,000 budget. And building it out of crushed limestone and earth bags. And it's really cool what they're doing. I had a lot of you guys had found them online and said, hey, get these guys on the show. So I've done that, and I'll have them on for you in just a minute. Actually, I was going to have Paul and Lisa, but I ended up with just Lisa, which is yeah, just as good, I guess. Not to, not to be little Paul or anything, but uh, he was unavailable. So Lisa did a great job with the interview, and I'll be bringing that on in just a second. Before I do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor the day number one today, Ready Made Resources. What more can you ask for from a company than for them to say what they do and then do it just in the name of their company? That's what ready-made resources does. All the resources you need, ready to go, ready-made, point-click, buy, ship to you. Great service, great pricing, and I mean anything you can think of for your prepping needs. From the tactical to the practical, check out ready-made resources. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com. What is your gun with no ammo? A very expensive club. That's what it is. What is your gun with only a little bit of ammo? Not much better than a very expensive club because that means you don't practice with it, run it, and train with it. So you need ammo and you need lots of it, both so that you can go through drought periods in ammo when ammo gets crazy expensive, which we all know happens occasionally, and so that you can train with that gun and you can, you know, you can take care of what that gun is designed to take care of from putting meat on the table to protecting your home. And the best place I can think of to get your ammo is bulkammo.com because they have all the common calibers in bulk. That's why they're called bulk ammo with some of the best pricing and lightning fast shipping. Uh, check them out today, bulkammo.com. Remember, they're also a supporter of the member support brigade as well. Uh, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, the video of my presentation is now actually up on Vimeo because it was so long it was easier to do over there. I'm going to try to put it on YouTube, but you can see that. Uh, I'll put a post out today about that as well or maybe just some links from today's show notes. But the uh, presentation I gave in New Hampshire, the entire thing is available in three parts. I don't know what happened when I tried to... Uh, To, uh, to generate that video with all three parts put together, it caused some kind of encoding error, but I was able to do it uh, in three individual pieces. So check that out. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And remember, most of the stuff does go on the YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe there. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys you can support the show by joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts to over 30 vendors. I'm, I'm going to be talking to uh, 
Black Dragon Tactical today about getting you guys a discount on things like the Roni, uh, which is a conversion tool that lets you turn your Glock into a rifle, a uh, short-barreled rifle, uh, and some other options, along with some body armor. So I'm trying to up the tactical side of the MSB for you. Remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, you qualify for a special national service discount. Just send me an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. And let me know who you are and what you did or what you're doing uh, to qualify, and I will send you your special discount code. Thank you. Now, as I promised, a little update on what happened last night. I put this out on Facebook. Another reason to stay in touch with us on Facebook is you get to know stuff like this when no one else does. Uh, last night, my neighbor came up the road. She goes, do you know what's going on down there? And I'm like, no. She goes, there's a fire down in the valley. It was less than half a mile away. And it was burning right up against one of the neighbor's houses. I jumped in the truck and went down there and assessed the situation and check it out. Uh, I wasn't too concerned. It looked like the fire department had it well in hand. They had several dozers cutting brakes. They were doing a great job. And uh, I, I was afraid that the one guy might lose his house or at least have damage to it. Uh, but they were doing the best that they could. The problem in the area is it's not an easy area to get a big fire truck in. Uh, so they, you know, if they wanted, they're running hoses, basically they had to run, uh, you know, like freaking 200 yards of hose down off the hill or something, uh, in some of these areas to get water into the place. So they were mainly relying on the dozers. Uh, and one was, I think a neighbor that just, he's in the neighbor, you know, if something happens, he just gets to work and, uh, he did. And then they brought a couple more in and they, they did a great job. Uh, while this was going on, we did the one thing we could. We got ready to leave. We had the uh, RV ready to hook up and go, and uh, the dog stuff ready to go, the bug out bags ready to go, and I just went out and decided to water the perimeter of the property. It's probably pointless, but it was the one thing we could do that might have helped slow it down had the fire gotten up to us. But, you know, what I put out last night is people think sometimes that prepping is crazy. Prepping's not crazy. Um, the, the, the thing is, had that fire actually consumed our home and there was nothing we could have done to stop it if it would have gotten that far up. And I have brakes all around the house. I've removed the fuel. I've done everything I can to make my house as resistant to wildfire as possible, short of putting a fire hydrant in with a fire hose and being able to stand on the roof and fight it myself. Um, but if we had to leave, we would have lost everything. You know, we would have lost a lot of stuff. I would have been unhappy, but we would have taken most of the guns. We would have taken all of the valuables, the strong boxes. Everything would have been piled into the RV. Two trucks going down the road loaded up, two dogs, two cats uh, in their kennels. And we would have went somewhere and, and taken the RV and set up, and we would have, you know, dealt with it as we had to. And we would have still had the office here. We could have come here to the office, and we have these redundancies planned and built up. And I think it's important that we all realize that we're all humans, And what I'm going to tell you is even as prepared as we are, just the fact that we had to think about it being real made us realize there are some things that we can do better. We're going to work on tightening them up. And I think why it's, why it's a very good idea once in a while to run the mental simulation and say, okay, there is a forest fire uh, a half a mile from our house. And it, it may not be contained. In it. But I'll tell you what, when something happens for real, it's, it's a lot more likely. So, After that happens, then last night, um, I see a vehicle go down and open the gate, and then two vehicles come up, and one vehicle park where it just didn't make sense, and gun on, dog on the leash, and out I went to see what was going on. It was just a neighbor visiting a neighbor. She left her interior light on. She had the car parked out on the road. It was an older lady. Uh, she pretty much parked it out on the road because she didn't want to back down the long driveway in the dark, which was cool. They never knew I was armed, except they, they probably know because I'm always armed. But uh, 
you know, I went out there and checked on the place, and uh, I told my wife, I said, I know it looks like overkill, but, uh, you know, it's what you do. It's, it's what you do to make sure your neighbors are looked after. It's what you do to make sure your own property's looked after, and uh, it's nice to have 130 pounds of German Shepherd to go along with uh, under the 1911 that you're carrying when you do it. And my wife said, no, I, don't, I think you did the exact right thing. Uh, it's interesting to have watched her kind of change her mind over the years about uh, preparedness as she's seen it pay off. So I wanted to share those two stories with you. Sometimes things happen that are serious, and sometimes it's just a, a neighbor parking a car in a different way. And, and instead of being checking on something that was going wrong, I was able to be a good neighbor and you know prevent this lady from killing her battery, which I think she would have done because she was going to stay there for quite a few hours. Anyway, with that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up, and I'd like to introduce our special guest, Lisa Majors. Uh, Paul and Lisa Majors have never built a home before, but that's not stopping them from building an earthbag home in Arkansas. They expect to finish it in only two years. They're determined to stick to a budget of $10,000, building a double-dome home while showing others how they can do the same. They're here today, or actually she's here today, to talk to us about sustainable living, changing consumer habits, and how if we change our consumer habits, we could make a big difference in the depletion and destruction of our world's resources. It all starts every time we think we need something, uh, where we go to get it, and how we use that product and what remains and how we dispose of it. Uh, she's here to talk to us about building that earth bag home and living sustainably. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Oh, thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Hey, um, I kind of just read your bio to the audience and all uh, and what you're doing, but I mean, just kind of... To get started here, what what made you guys decide you're going to build a house out of bags? I mean, I think it's really cool and all, but when it comes down to it, that's like your main building uh, your your main building component here. Bags we're filling with earth. What 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 led you to that? Well, um, Paul and I met each other about three and a half years ago, and um, we both were in very long marriages. We I had been married 26 years; he had been married 21 years and found ourselves divorced, which, um, you know, that can happen to a lot of people. I never thought it would happen to me, but it did. And um, I came across Paul. We met, and um, we decided to get married, and and then we were living in apartments and um, moved in, and we we talked. I mean, we had a lot of a similar interests. We both grew up in Arkansas, but um, when we decided that we wanted to purchase a house or build a house together, we did not want to start our marriage with a 30-year mortgage and get into that mode of um, working to to pay all your bills and just become a slave to, to debt. So um, so we thought he, he had seen on my profile, I had an online profile, and he had seen that, um, that I, I liked... Um, Biotexture and permaculture, and um, I forget what all I mentioned on my on my online bio. But um, he originally thought I was way too high maintenance, but I guess <laughs> that just goes to show that you know if you have an online profile and as much information as you put out there, it doesn't you, you never know um, how that's going to end up or um, what somebody's going to pick up on, and then you end up here we are three years later building the earth back home and. We both um, like to sit down at night and do a lot of research and figure out before we do something um, how we're going to do it, how much it's going to cost. And um, we actually had a friend that had the Earthbag book on his coffee table, and we were visiting visiting him. And 
we picked it up and we both instantly just thought, wow, that's really cool to build a house out of bags. And um, I'd already looked some into geodesic domes and earth ships, and I love the earth ships, and, and um, this home is fairly similar to the earth ships. Um, it's just not, you know, we, we use less tires, and, um, I mean, there's some similarities because we do rainwater collection. Um, we have a, a south-facing um, room where our sunroom is, and we will ha- we'll, we will have a planter. Um, so it has some similarities, but we just like the idea of the, the strengths of the earth bag home. And um, it, it's just kind of like a fortress. Um, Paul's a strong person. I feel like I'm a strong person, and, and we just like the, the strengths and the, the durability of an earth bag home. Um, it's got to be easier to fill bags than tires, too, I would think. I, I, people that have talked to me about earth ships, I think they're one of the most awesome things I've ever seen. But I'm like, before you plan your life around constructing one one day, go fill one tire. Exactly. exactly. And we actually, on, our, on our, our main dome, we started with one row of tires. Um, the, the, to back up a little bit on the foundation, just so people know, you can't just put the tire on the ground and start filling it with dirt and pounding it. I guess you could, but um, they recommend you, you build a, a trench um, first, and you fill that trench with gravel, and that's called a, a rubble foundation. So the water um, has a place to go when it rains, and it, it kind of, I guess it sort of goes down into the trench and dissipates through the ground. Um, but that's kind of where we started. We, we we did it. We did the trench, filled it with gravel, and then did a row of tires. And we've got some videos on YouTube where I show Paul and I are filling a tire and packing it, and it's pretty amazing. I I did a fast forward on that video, and and that tire never moved, even though he was, he was slamming it with a with a sledgehammer pretty pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah. So they're super durable. Um, I think. Why did you guys lay? Tires. Why'd you guys do a layer of tires for your first layer? Is that like something a lot of people doing earth bags do, or is it something you guys came up with? Or well, we had originally wanted to do three or four layers of tires and then take off with the bags, but after I, doing I, one row of tires, we're, <laughs> we're wow, that's really labor intensive, and and I have a whole new respect for the people that build the earth chips because it's it's really tough to pack the tires, and you can see um, how Paul is trying to use a garden hoe to sort of get that gravel up and inside the tire so that there's no give in it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. We we just found that filling the bags was a little bit easier than packing tires, and um, just went you know after one row, we so, said, well, let's just go on with the bags. So would you recommend if somebody were going to do this now that they just for, forget the the tires altogether and go straight bags right from the bottom up? Oh no, 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 no. I okay. I I believe that using tires is a great building resource, and um. It, it, Maybe we we were just a little bit too intent on making sure those tires were fully packed, and we were packing it with gravel. We were not using the dirt. The dirt in our area is full of rocks and roots, and um, we just I don't know. We just we have a quarry that's not too far away, and we just went ahead and filled our tires with gravel. But it might it might be a little bit different with dirt. But no, it's a great building resource. Any anything I mean, once you start building one of these houses and you use recycled materials. Um, and you, you try to use things that would normally go in a landfill, then um, 
you really have a uh, you, you start looking at things differently, and and it, it's been a really interesting experience for Paul and I both. We, we've become sort of like scavengers. <laughs> gotcha. I, I mean, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. What I'm really asking though is, is there any kind of a structural advantage to doing your first layer with tires? Is there a is there an architectural reason for that, or is it just you wanted to utilize the resource and keep it out of a landfill? Well, both, both. It is structural, and it's and it's also um, keeping tires from going to to landfills. Um, we just found that it was a little too labor intensive, and wanted to just go ahead and start filling bags. And you just you can put the bags right on top of the tires. Okay. But now, if somebody wants to build an alternative home, uh, like an earth ship or an earth bag home, I, I would recommend go ahead use the tires. The earth ships are wonderful structures, and um, we didn't. It, it works really well too when you can push the dirt up behind it, sort of berm the the dirt behind as a back wall. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have that option though. We, we, where we chose to build, it's a, it, it it kind of sits on a plateau, and then it, there's a big ravine right behind the house. So we didn't really have a way to push the dirt up behind the house um, to help with the insulation and the structure of the house. Gotcha. So you guys have a pretty big goal here. Maybe we'd call it a small goal, depending on how you would look at it. But to keep your budget on the construction of this this house to $10,000, which is amazing to think you could build a house for that. And just so people don't think that you guys are building like a little tiny shed or something, I think you said the circumference of the main dome was like 25 feet, and then you have a second dome that's smaller and like a connecting dome, that's that's a pretty significant size structure. Um, because I mean, I remember I had a 27 foot round above ground swimming pool, and you're only looking at two feet difference there from your main dome. So it's pretty big for that price. How how does that work that you're able to keep the cost that low? Well, the good thing is um, we decided to fill our bags with crushed limestone and. That's a really inexpensive material. In fact, it's kind of a waste material um, when they make gravel. The crushed limestone is um, kind of a pulverized limestone that they they throw get rid of it, or I'm not sure what all they do with it, but it's a really cheap material. Um, I mean, if you use dirt, that's great. That's that's even cheaper. But the the cost really depends on how many recycled materials that you can find too. We've we've gone to flea markets and we found a, a spiral staircase uh for less than a hundred bucks. Um we've found sinks and doors and um the Habitat for Humanity store has a lot of good finds. We found a beautiful solid wood door for thirty bucks. Um so a lot of it really depends on on where you get your materials and Another thing, too, um, I do a lot of mosaics and tiles, and I just go to places and ask them, do you have any tiles or chips or broken that you don't want or that you don't, anything that's discontinued? And a lot of times they'll load me up with a, um, a whole pallet full of tiles. Um, we, we have a lot of rocks on our, on our land, so I've utilized those rocks as a building, um, a building source. Um, we also have a lot of clay on our land, and that goes into the adobe. So, yeah, you can keep your cost way down if you're using the materials that you already have or that you find or that you buy at a discount. You, you mentioned the crushed limestone there, and I was going to ask you about that um, because one of the things I've seen people do is basically use the material that's on site 
Um, was it that the soil you had there wasn't good for this type of construction, or was it just the limestone was so much better and it was cheap and available as a waste product? Or and what's it gonna what's it costing you like for that stuff like per ton or something? Well, the limestone we were paying about fifteen dollars a ton, and they bring out about um, twenty two tons at a time. It's a big truck that they come and just dump a big pile of it. Um, but you can use use soil. That's there's no problem in using soil. You just have to be very careful about what finish that you put on. Because we had some friends that built a very small earth bag structure, and and they they used earth to fill the bags, but then they sprayed concrete over it, and that caused the when the when the earth or the dirt got wet, it expanded and and popped off the um, concrete stucco. So I I don't know I think it a lot of it, what we're doing is kind of experimental we're we're finding that some of our adobe is falling off the side okay. and the outside um, but a, a lot of rain and and um, um, snow will will cause the li- the limestone to to expand and um, of course the rain if it drips a lot on a certain area of the house the outside of the house. Swell. be to wash off. Oh, yeah. So, but yeah, you can feel. I mean, we have other friends that are they're building an earth bag home in um, in uh, where New Mexico, and they're they're using the the volcanic rock. Okay. So there's other materials that you can use. You, you can also, if it's not structural, you can also use um, rice holes. So okay. there's a lot of information out there, but. So that would be like for a dividing wall that's not structurally supporting the structure. Right, and it's a great insulator, too. Okay. We chose to use the crushed limestone just because we have a quarry very close to us, and it's it's inexpensive, relatively inexpensive, and it's it's just like large particles of sand. You just scoop it up and pour it in the bag. It's um, got to have when you're this the structure when you've got it completed. It really you mentioned it's like a fortress. It's got to be an extremely sturdy, high insulation value structure when it's done, just from its thickness and, and mass and weight. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, crushed limestone when it when it does get wet when it hardens, it it almost becomes like a concrete again. Um, so yeah, it is very, very sturdy, um, very sound material to use. You, you just have to make sure that at some point your bags are going to be deteriorating, so you've got to get your outside stucco, um, on before the, the bags deteriorate because the limestone will eventually start crumbling off at some point. So, um, we're, we're finding that, yeah, now that we're two years into this project that, the outside is, is starting to look kind of rough just because the bags, we just didn't get all of our outside stucco on, so the bags are starting to deteriorate and some of the limestone is starting to crumble. But it's still, we've got 22 inches um, width, so it, it would take a while. I mean, we probably will just have to put some um, chicken wire, screw that into the limestone, and, and then we've got a spray mortar gun that we can just spray our, our um, it's a limestone, um, cellulose and concrete mixture and just spray that onto the whole house all the time. Now, I, I got you like an hour early on the interview and you had to, to, to postpone and get back with me and you were mixing up some cement, you said, at that point. So is that what you were doing? 
Yeah, I, I have, I've found that, um, I, I really like playing around with the rocks. I've, I've built a lot of things out of rocks. Um, I, I was making an outside bench and I've rocked all, all the way around the whole house. And, um, it, it I, I guess because I love mosaic, I'm an artist. Um, and, and working with the rocks, there's just something, um, that, that just, I don't know, it's good for my soul, I guess. And, and I just to create things out of things that you find on the ground. It's, I, 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 evidently I enjoy it because I, I do it a lot. <laughs> um, another thing that we had just finished is, um, a rocket stove, kind of to jump onto something else. Um, Paul just put together a rocket stove. Um, for our bedroom, and we're also going to put one in our living room, and I've incorporated some of my rock designs in that. But the great thing is about the rocket stove is that it uses a fraction of the wood, and and then it goes inside a barrel, and then that goes through some um, piping, kind of like um, air conditioning ductwork, and then it goes outside. And then you can build a cob or adobe bench wrapping around the wall. So that's what we've done. And I've just put some new pictures on, on our Facebook page um, that show our rocket stove. But we're really excited um, that, that it's working great. When Paul first built it, he actually built it and rebuilt it about five or six times until he had it down right because um, he had a lot of um, the smoke was blowing back into the room. And we he found that if you put a, one of those Attics, whirly birds that go on your roof. Um, if you put one of those at, at, on the um, flue, on the outside flue, then it will keep the wind from blowing back in and blowing the smoke into the room. So that that's been a really great feature um, for the room, keeping it warm and in the winter, and just a really cool place to sit down. And um, it fits our round walls because we've curved it. It has the same curvature as the wall, of course, the cop bench does. And then the rocket stove, the barrel part, you can actually cook on it. So um, I've got a cast iron pot that I throw food in and put that on top of the rocket stove, and, and um, we can get it up anywhere from, um, well, of course, zero to 900 degrees. It kind of tops our thermometer, kind of tops out at 900 degrees. So hmm. uh, for cooking, I course um try to keep it around four to five hundred degrees but that barrel gets really hot and it it um it's great for radiant heat while the bench is more of um it holds the heat in um conduction heat i don't know my husband would probably tell you better paul could you know being a heating heating well, air guy it's a thermal mass and it holds your heat so when your fuel's been expended you wake up in the morning and you're not freezing cold inside because that heat is slowly dissipated into your home Right, right, and the cob bench, my goodness, it's, it comes out about two feet, um, a little more than two feet off the wall, and then it's raised up about 18 inches. So that's a lot of mass. Yeah. And the the radiant heat comes off the barrel, and then it kind of you know, stays within the barrel, and then it shoots down into the um, the ductwork, and that ductwork runs through the cob bench. You don't see it, and then out the out um, outside, and it's it's pretty amazing just to i mean it'll it'll when the rocket stove is about four to five hundred degrees the cob bench will stay at about 70 degrees that's all 70 to 100 yeah it's it's been really great for this winter we've been able to work all winter long and just in the bedroom we pretty much just 
try to finish out our bedroom. Um, and I did a lot of mosaic work. And, again, anybody that wants to see photographs can go to our Facebook page, um, Lisa Majors. I actually have two Facebook pages, Lisa Majors and Lisa Alvarado Majors. And we've got I've got pictures on both. Um, and you guys, you mentioned you have a YouTube uh, channel as well. What's your YouTube uh, username? It's Ardome TV, and that's A-R-D-O-M-E TV, Ardome TV. And we've got five videos. And I apologize, I haven't been able to really um, put any new videos up just because we've been working so much on the house, haven't put a lot of time and attention into creating new videos, so... We are way behind on our videos, um, but we've, we've got a lot of views on them, so I know people are watching and they're interested in these homes. We also have a tour coming up March 10th and 24th, so I'm excited um, for that, and I've been trying to clean up and organize around the house, and um, usually uh, we have anywhere from 7 to 12 people that show up for that, and I'll just it's an hour-and-a-half-long tour, and I pretty much just show them um, all the basics of um, how to build an earth bag home, um, some of the mistakes that we've made, and then we move on to the organic gardening and show them um, the the technique that we're using for that. And uh, we've also inoculated some logs for gourmet mushrooms. And then last uh, we go to uh, the Cordwood Chicken House, so that's worked really well for the, the chickens to stay nice and warm in the winter and a nice, safe place for them to, to be um, at night because we have a lot of predators in our area. Um, and then the last thing, I, I kind of just throw in a, a few things about um, dehydrating and making your own toothpaste and deodorant and, and washing powder and things like that. Very cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, sorry about that, I wanted to um, ask you about like, are you haven't had any kind of problems with like local code enforcement officials, or have you managed to like maybe keep? Are you going off grid so that you avoid some of the things that come with it being classified as a dwelling, or you know how have you managed that up till now? Well, in in the county where we live, it's one of the strictest in the state, and in the beginning, um, this was just a few months into building, we had a sign posted on our door saying, stop building, you don't have a permit. And we were kind of shocked because we had, we're in a rural area and we have 20 acres and we didn't know we even needed a, um, an, an, um, a building permit. So um, after a few months, when we got ready, we went down and just had a meeting with them and brought the earth bag book with us. Um, and, um, just told them what we were doing and just kind of upfront and told them. And we just found that there were a few things that were not to code and that was um, like our windows were a little small. Uh, if there's a fire, the firemen can't fit through the window evidently. So there are some certain sizes that you you need for a room. And then, um, but we pretty much told them, well, this house is termite-proof, it's fire-proof, it's earthquake-proof, it's tornado-proof. So if you want, you can try to light it on fire, but I don't think, I don't think you're going to have much luck. Yeah, I and haven't seen that crushed limestone burns very well. 
Exactly. And he said, well, you will need to get a termite uh, uh, inspection. And I'm like, well, I don't think they like crushed limestone, so I don't think we're going to need any uh, termite insurance either. <laughs> you know, um, it's another example of, hi, we're from the government and they're here. we're here to help you, but at least you were able. It sounds like you had reasonably decent folks to deal with there that were at least somewhat open. Because I know, like, the one guy that, like, a pioneer in the earth ships out in New Mexico, he eventually said the heck with it went to South America and started building them down there because he just couldn't deal with the code enforcement anymore. Well, um, the thing that helped us is that there's another family that lives in the, uh, just about 20 miles from us, and they had already built a straw bale home and a tire bale ha- house. Okay. So they had already jumped through some hoops, and so since we're in the same county, the the inspector knew about this other family. He'd seen their home, and he saw that, oh, okay, this makes sense. And um, so they, they kind of opened the pathway for us. Um, but, yeah, I'm familiar with Mike Reynolds. I know had a, a lot of problems with the code enforcement and all that. And the, where, we're, where we might have some problems is when we get to the septic system, and that's not really included in the $10,000 yeah. um, budget. But we, we want to have a composting toilet. We want to try it. We've never had it before. We've heard a lot of good things about it, and that's what we want to do. But they've kind of told us, well, that's not allowed. But we know that there are EPA-approved um, composting toilets out there, and we know that we're probably going to spend anywhere from 1500 to $2,000 getting one. But the important thing is that we maintain our our liberty in saying this is our home, we should be able to decide what type of septic system that we want as long as it's safe and it's not harming the land or anybody else. So we might kind of run into some headbutting at that point, but we're sure. going to, we'll have to see because we really don't want to spend, it probably cost us six, five to $6,000 just to put a septic system in where we live because there's a lot of, a lot of rocks and kind of built in a location where we can't have any, any leach lines going out. Sure, I understand that completely. I mean, I live in the Washita Mountains just south of you, and it's the same type of thing. It's very expensive to put a septic system in, but if you go with a composting toilet, then you have a gray water solution that's much easier and less expensive and environmentally friendly. And I, I keep hearing from the government about how they want us to live a greener lifestyle. But you guys seem to be building, I think the one video I saw called it Super Green, and I would agree, and hopefully you'll be able to get past that because you used a very important word to myself and this audience, and that's liberty. And what I see is a couple of people trying to live their life in liberty by creating independence and uh, doing it in a very environmentally friendly way at the same time. Because you guys are not just doing this because you want to be uh, independent. You're doing this because you see problems out there, and you're trying to be a positive force on that, right? Exactly. We, we're very concerned about our economy and what's happening to our environment, and we want to be part of the solution. It, it, it's great if, if, you can, if you can live in a house that's green. Not everybody can do this. It's a very labor-intensive, but this home will be here for a long time. It's, it's very um, sturdy, and, sturdy and, and it's a sound home. But the important thing is we're going to be debt-free. Our house is already paid for. It's not completed yet, but everything that we've put into it's already paid for. We don't have any credit cards. We don't want any credit cards. We don't want any Social Security or help from the government. Um, 
this may not be the wisest thing, but we don't have any health insurance. Um, we pretty much, if something happens to us, we'll go to the hospital, we'll pay for it, and 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 that's how we live our life. We we're trying to be as independent and self sufficient as possible. We're trying to live off our land, be debt free, um, mind our own business, but yet help other people do the same. It's it's kind of an educational process. I think I get really excited about the tours because it's like, okay, we're not crazy. <laughs> there are people interested in this. No, you're not crazy. We help other people do it too. Yeah, you're not crazy. You have an audience here of about 30,000 people with the exact same concerns. Um, this show started le- a little less than four years ago, and, and it's built up to that kind of, uh, of an audience and community around it now. And I wouldn't be surprised if a few members of this community want to show up for one of your tours. Uh, to be responsible for yourself and your family and looking after them is, is not crazy. Uh, I think it's crazy that we live in a society where some people think that way. I watched a... I don't remember if it was the doctors or Dr. Oz or something my wife had on the other day, and some lady was like 35 years old and still carrying like a whoopee blanket around, and she was told that's not crazy. Well, if that's not crazy, then building your own house and owning it, it can be crazy. And do, I mean, are you starting to feel like maybe you're part of like a larger movement, even that more than just Earthback? So you mentioned Earth Chips. Uh, I just watched a video about this kid that's like 16 doing the tiny house thing on a trailer, and his right. goal is the same thing, to be debt-free and not have a mortgage and always own a home. Um, are you starting to feel like there's more and more community building around the whole concept of not not just earthbag housing, but something different than the cookie-cutter suburban stuff that we've been like sold for you know years? Oh, yeah. I, I do believe we're part of the what I call the, the green movement. Some people call us the preppers or the survivalists or whatever whatever name you want to put on it. I think it's just a smart thing to do. If you're, We know what's happening to our economy if we're awake, and we see what's happening in politics. And, and a lot of our friends, we, we call them sheeple or we call them they're still asleep. They don't know what's going on. And we're we're so thankful that we got rid of our our uh, mainstream media. We don't have satellite dish or cable or any of that anymore. We watch all of our information comes from the internet, which is the only unregulated form of media that we have at the moment. So, and that's being threatened. So, the important thing is that people wake up, see what's going on, be aware, and be prepared. There's nothing wrong with being prepared, and and it's okay to have extra food stored up. That's a smart thing to do. Um, yeah, I mean, you're you preaching to the choir with that message here. It's a, <laughs> it's a guiding tenant of food storage that we we practice for, from practical preparedness. How have you guys been living, like, until you got the structure to a point where you at least provided – I saw when you were building it initially, and it was, like, three levels high only. Were you guys, like, living in tents while you were doing this, or – well, when we first started, because um, it, it took us several months just to clear off the land. It's heavily wooded in our area and a lot of tall trees. We we did, when we were living in our apartment, we, we came out here on weekends um, and, and we camped out and it was fun. Uh, but we decided we needed to be out here full time and work on the house as much as possible. And uh, we ended up getting a camper. So we went through a really rough, summer and I think one of the coldest winters and the hottest summers in the, um, last year and um, we're in a little 24-foot camper <laughs> and 
and that's been that's been a challenge for our first year of marriage. But let me tell you, we've grown very very close because of it. And just building a house together, it's Paul and I are super close and um, understand each other very well now, and and kind of worked out a lot of kinks and. Um, it's been it's been very challenging, but yet it now you know you kind of accommodate yourself to small living quarters, and we're outside most of the time anyway. Um, and then we were inside; we're just about ready to move into our bedroom in the in our earth bag home, though, because it's pretty much finished out. Just a few little details that are are lacking, and then we're ready to move on to the main dome. I bet that's pretty exciting to actually have something almost done and be almost ready to be able to you know make it at least the beginnings of a home. It, it is, but but let me tell you, Jack. This uh, in our camper, just about everything that we have in the camper is, or everything that's in the camper is made of plastic. And I I just refuse to put anything non organic into the room. I really want to keep it as natural as possible. We're looking into making a buckwheat bed with um, wool or something. I don't know. We're doing the research. <laughs> um, we really want to make it plastic free. And um, we just we've done the research. We've watched a lot of documentaries about how how unhealthy and harmful plastics are. So um, since we've been living in a plastic camper for the past two years, I'm I'm just really ready to. I'm going to take my time and make sure that everything is in there that is is organic and healthy and um, is going to be good for us. So it, it may take a little bit longer than I expected, but it's like, man, I don't even want to move the, the mattress. Uh, the mattress, our mattress has got all kinds of non-organic um, petroleum-based materials that it's made of, and I, I really am determined to put um, a buckwheat or make one or something. I don't know. I'm still still doing the research trying to figure yeah. out exactly what that's going to look like. And you guys have a couple kiddos there with you, too? Uh, they look pretty happy helping with the construction. Um, yeah, actually, they earned a little bit of money yesterday picking up rocks for me. So, uh, of course, kids always want to, they always want money. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you 30 minutes and let me see how many rocks you can get. And this is kind of the size that I need. And, um, that's actually what I was working on today, an outside bench. Um, and they went and picked up the rocks and now I have enough to finish the, the bench. But yeah, they're, they're, uh, we actually have another storage room where they're, um, and I call it a storage room, but it, it's um, like a 10 by 16 building, and they stay in that building. Um, and it's kind of a, um, it can, it can be a, a little bit challenging too because they have to come to the camper to, to go, use the bathroom or the kitchen. Um, but it's, the, the two are very close, the, the camper to the, um, the cabin where they're staying. But we're we're really really wanting to finish this house this year and be done with it and and uh, move on to an aquaponic greenhouse. That's ne- our next big project. Very cool. That's something I'm looking to do myself. I just put my greenhouse in and setting up aquaponics within it is one of my next plans. Um, on your house though, when you when you do have it complete, was the vision for it to be off grid, on grid as far as electricity? The the mission is to be completely off the grid and get a couple solar panels. We've already got a couple deep cell batteries um, and been doing a lot of research. Paul's been doing a lot of research and whether we're going to go AC or DC and, and finding good prices on the panels and the, um, I guess it's an inverter. Um, 
gosh, there's just uh, we're we're working towards it. <laughs> so, but, but that's the goal: is you want to be off grid right now with your camper? Or are you using on grid power, or are you just kind of camping? I mean, no, we're, we we had we had electricity put in. Um, we've got our power poles up the road, and and just found out that they switched us to a smart meter, which I'm not very happy about that, knowing that it emits <laughs> radiation. Um, but we, we need, right now, we need the, our power tools to build the house. Um, that bucket of mortar that I just mixed up, I used, uh, I've got a, um, a mixing drill um, with um, an attachment on it that I can just mix up a five-gallon bucket. Um, but I have to tell you, for my one-year anniversary, I did get a big uh, concrete mixer. <laughs> that cool. was my anniversary present. <laughs> um, ladies out there, don't be jealous. Yeah, uh, it's a good man that buys his wife a concrete mixer for the anniversary. I like that. <laughs> and then my my second year anniversary, I got a um, I wanted a larger um, water container for the chickens. So let me tell you, <laughs> you become very practical at some point, and you start thinking um, when you're living out here in the woods, you kind of start thinking, what do I? Do I really want luxury or do I want practicality? <laughs> sure. And I, I've become, I used to drive a little BMW um, sports car and, and uh, I, I've had the big house and, you know, it's those things, you cannot, you cannot eat the car <laughs> if you're hungry. You know what I'm saying? You, you, um, knowing where our economy is headed uh gosh i I don't miss the car. I feel a lot more secure knowing that that I've got food storage and I've got a big garden that I can grow more food and I've got land out there that i can uh, my husband shoots uh, and uh hunts deer awesome so i we feel we feel like we're on the right track we definitely how much land do you right got track. how much land do you guys have We have about twenty acres. Awesome. Um, and we, we would like to have a few more couples out here to um, to do the same, kind of start our own little eco-village because we, we'd like to get sheep and um, use them for not only the the, um, the meat, but you can also uh, – sheep's milk is supposed to be really, really healthy. And then you've got wool, too, so they're kind of multi-purpose animals. Um but, you know, you can't travel, you can't go anywhere unless you have someone kind of taken over. It's like, okay, we're going to be gone this week. Can you look out for the animals? And then when you're gone, we'll look over, you know, it's just it's kind of a, a partnership, a community that we could have more like-minded people out here doing the same. Yeah, you know, I've got neighbors up the road from me, and actually their, their land's adjacent to mine, but pretty big piece of land, so they're up the road, you'd call it that. And I was talking to the guy that, that you know, headed a household, so to speak, about getting some rabbits, I said, you know, our concern with rabbits is, uh, you know, we travel a lot for 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 what I do here, and he said, well, we'd be happy to look after them. We were thinking about getting some ourselves, and what I ended up telling him was, I would actually feel much better about doing it as a joint project because I wouldn't feel like I was, you know, in, uh, you know, infringing on you or whatever to, you know, or taking advantage of our relationship as neighbors for you to look after them when I'm gone because we'd both have a stake in it, and I think that a more cooperation like that. Uh, makes things like small livestock feasible because it sounds great. I'll get some chickens and some some sheep and some goats or whatever, and then you go, well, I want to leave for a week, and, and somebody has to look after them. Right, right, and, and we, we really don't know what 
the future holds for us too. So as far as having people around us that we know and that we trust and that are are awake and and know what's happening politically and they they they'll watch your back too. I think that's important. We 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 like people that own guns and know how to use them and know how to hunt and kind of the same mindset that hey we need to be prepared and and make sure that that um we're taking care of each other and we've got other people that are that are feeling the same way. Yeah, I do got one livestock suggestion for you that I think is highly overlooked in America that's very self-sufficient on its own and very predator-proof if you do it right, and that's raising pigeons uh, for squab and what's called a dovecote. So basically, it looks like, a, if you know what a purple martin house looks like, it looks like a great big purple mountain ha- house with a lot less apartments in it because they're bigger birds. And right. uh, the way we're doing them is I'm putting put sleeves into the ground, metal sleeves, and then they're up on a metal pole about six foot, eight foot high. And when you want to move one, because you can use their uh, waste for fertilizer, you just move them to a different location, and they'll home in on their 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 home. And uh, since they're up on that metal pole, nothing can get to them, and they'll fly out, and they'll free range for a lot of their feed needs. Uh, you can set something like a deer feeder up to feed them a few times a day if you were gone for a few days, and uh, they'll produce, a pair of doves will produce about 20 squab a year for you. Uh, so it's... Uh, it's a pretty self, you know, they look after themselves a lot. So that's one of the things we're looking at doing. Well, that's, that's very interesting. And I haven't, I haven't done any research in that area, but I, we have been looking into the vermiculture with the worm, the worm, the sure. red wiggler worms. And, um, we just don't really need a whole lot of fertilizers, fertilizers because we have chickens and yep. we have a couple of rabbits. So we have really plenty of, um, fertilizers, but they're good to, to um, I guess, aerate the soil or, or enrich the soil. So, But that's another thing that, okay, this pretty uh, carefree get bucket and set that up and, and have that. There's a lot of things that people can do that just the, the majority, I think a lot of people are in their home and they go to work every day, they come home and they don't, they're not really set up and thinking forward enough to think, oh, if something happens to the economy, if, if something drastic happens, where do I go? What I what, what will I do? I, I, I just don't know if people are, are really thinking up to that point. Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people have this belief like uh, it's always been okay, so it'll always be okay. And my response to that is, well, it hadn't always been okay. Um, I, I think that people, when I say, like, what I see with the economy is I don't see, like, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome or anything like that, right? I see right. something very akin to the Great Depression, and, and the media keeps lying to people right now, telling them, this is the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Well, it's not untrue, but it's not true, because it, it draws a parallel as though it's the same. And, and I grew up with uh, first-generation immigrant grandparents who went through the Great Depression in a cold town in Pennsylvania, and I can tell you that this is not anything like the Great Depression was, and that can happen again, and I think people are far less prepared. Back then, all the things that you're talking about, most people did on some level, and today most people don't have a clue where their food even comes from, let alone have any stake in producing it. Exactly, exactly. And it's really scary because there there are a, a, a small number of people that believe what we believe in that we we can be self-reliant and self-sufficient and, and we're okay with that because we've prepared ourselves and we've 
we've done the research and we're trying to understand what we need to do, but yet they're going to be clueless. And I'm, I'm, I, I told my husband the other day, I said, what are we going to do if people, if something happens and people that we know or they know what we're doing, they're just going to like show up at our doorstep. What do we do with them? Um, so that's another issue. Well, try to help as many people as you can, but it's like we, we've been trying to tell you all this time that something's going to happen, something's going to happen. Don't listen to regular, the um, don't listen to CNN and Fox because they're, they're such big liars. I just, I can't even watch them right now. My, Paul and I are big Ron Paul supporters and, and just to see that how he's treated in the media, it's just really sickening. And I, and I, you know, I was asleep a long time ago. I, I didn't know all this stuff. And thank God for Netflix because it really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things about politics, about um, marijuana is another issue that I was like, wow, I never knew. You know, I never knew all this information. I didn't know that hemp was the number one cash crop in America or even our Constitution is printed on hemp paper. I, they don't tell you these things. <laughs> no, they don't tell you that. I mean, you look at – and I look at things like, you know, I'm not a marijuana user, and I know even right there you're really speaking more of what they say rope, not dope, with uh, with hemp. Like, because there's, there's hemp that, like, if you smoked a bucket of it, all you'd get is a headache, and that's even illegal to grow. And what an there, but on the on the other side, if somebody does want to do that, I you know with the with the uh, traditional marijuana, I could care less. Uh, and I find it ironic that there's people out there with things like multiple sclerosis that actually can benefit from that use. A legitimate, no matter what your opinion is on the on the criminal aspect of it, let's say a legitimate medical use, and it's proven to be effective. Some of these people, they're in certain stages of their illness, is the only way they can eat and keep food down. And a doctor, a doctor in a lot of states can't prescribe this for them, but they can go out and prescribe what amounts to methamphetamine to our children for what I believe is a completely made-up disease, ADD. Exactly, and, it, and it's really sad that uh, until people wake up to that fact and, and see that this is this is a plant that God made and that He gave us every seed-bearing plant. If you read in Genesis one twenty-nine, it's very clear that we have every seed-bearing plant given to us by him. So man has really distorted a lot of the laws and, and, and even with a lot of the new bills and stuff that are coming out, we're losing our, our liberties left and right. It's really scary to think how big our government's getting and how much power and it just is it's sickening, it's grotesque, and it, it, it's got to stop. We've got to do something. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're speaking, like, you're really hitting some things that are, are, like, blowing with me now. I just came back from this last weekend. I was a speaker up at the uh, New Hampshire Free State Liberty Forum. And those folks are moving there basically to swing that entire state toward a pro-liberty stance. And I find it very encouraging to see people like that uh, that are doing it as part of, let's say, a larger legislative movement and then see people like yourself and myself that are saying, well, politics really isn't my thing, so I'm just going to go prove it can be done. And I think what we need to restore liberty is kind of that multi-pronged approach. Some people are inside the system. Some people are, uh, like I would say you and I are not separatists from the system, but we're uh, sitting alongside the system. And some people are working completely outside the system. And it's going to take that multi-pronged approach to disassemble this monstrosity. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, we if I knew how to make changes besides maybe just voting in a um, a president that's not a, a corporatist or a globalist, then 
I don't know what else to do besides maybe get involved with groups or go like you did, go and see it firsthand in New Hampshire. But the the best thing thing that I can do too is besides the tours is telling my friends and my family, hey, let's this is what's happening. We we walked, I mean, listening to your show, the Survival Podcast, and people like Alex Jones and Adam Kokesh and um, Natural News. There's a lot of information out there. But it's not on mainstream media. You're not going to hear it on mainstream media. So I tell them the first thing you can do is get rid of your cable TV because those people are not going to let you know what the real truth is. Yeah, I, I completely agree with uh, with not getting the truth in there. I'll tell you that I think it's people like you that are making the biggest impact. Th- those guys are getting legislatures and the legislators into the state house and things like that, and that's going to make a difference. But I think the big problem we have is that if you look at you mentioned Ron Paul. So Ron Paul is getting like zero real traction in the mainstream media, which doesn't surprise anybody. But I can tell you that even though maybe his poll numbers are somewhat misleading and suppressed, the majority of Americans aren't ready for that. They're just not. And I think it's because they can't, they've been brainwashed for so long. You, you mentioned another word I use, sheeple, right? For so long, they can't even conceive of a world where people actually can look after themselves. And when people like yourself and, and all, all other members of these communities stand up and do it and demonstrate it, then people have to say, well, they can do it. And then that's a first step toward like unplugging from the matrix, right? Well, if they can do it, then maybe some people can do it. And if I can get you there, I can kind of get you to the point, well, well, all people are capable. And as far as like the ones that have illnesses or diseases that need a help, helping hand, if we weren't encumbered with this this beast of, of bureaucracy, uh, we would probably be very happy to help those folks out. I I I believe that, but I think that a lot of people will perish in the process. <laughs> and and I'm going to be optimistic and say Ron Paul Ron Paul can win. There's enough people on the internet. There's enough. There's a big enough movement that. And I don't know all what that whole system involves. I just know that he, he he's. He's been saying the same thing for over 30 years, and, and he stands for what the people want, and, and there's enough people that are kind of waking up to that, and there's been enough people out there. Um, Adam Kokesh just had a, a whole a huge group of um, veterans go march on the, the White House, and, and um, just really, I think there's a lot more people awake than what we think. So I, I'm going to be optimistic and say there are people that are there, that are awake and know what's going on, but I don't know how many because where do we get that number? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. But but we we do. We need to wake up. We need to um, go to the inter- internet for um, information and and the more information that we can share. We definitely want to be a part of the solution. You are a part of the solution in getting the information out and and just waking people up and say here's the information if if you're really interested about what's going on and and where the economy is headed and what's happening to our environment and what we can do to change, then listen to survival podcasts. Um, build a house. It's called Earth Bag Home. Yeah. Uh, grow your own food. Be be self-sustainable, really self-sustainable. What, and what does that mean? That's being not reliant. The opposite of self-sustainable, and I know a lot of people throw that word out, be, be self-sustainable. Well, what is the opposite of that? It's a reliance. Who sure. are you reliant upon? Are you relying on Walmart to grow, to get all your food? Walmart gets food from all over the world now. I mean, it's just amazing. Just go down the, the fruit and vegetable aisle 
and look at all the labels to see where that food was grown. You're going to find maybe one or two vegetables that was actually grown in the United States. Everything else is grown in the in in Central and South America, and and some of it um, coming or like the, a lot of um, products are coming from overseas, and we just really that's not feasible. It's not feasible, and we've got to make changes in the way we buy things. We are the masses. We are the masses. We are there are more of us, and we can make a change in in how we live. And you, you may not want to go out and build an earth bank home tomorrow, but you can go and be a, a smarter shopper. Do, do you really need that new um, petroleum-based um, uh, lead, not leather, pleather or, or uh, <laughs> handbag and, and, and those shoes? I mean, can you just wear maybe a $25 pair, dollar pair of uh, jeans that you got at a, at a Goodwill store or a Secondhand store, do you have to go out and spend $150, $200 on a pair of jeans or tennis shoes? We're not good consumers here. And if, if we can start, if everybody would just start being better consumers, quit buying bottled water. That's plastic is contaminating our earth. It's contaminating your body. Until we learn to be better consumers and, and, and the way that we live, we choose to live, there's I don't I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of change. Yeah, and that's so kind of where I'm at with this when I say things like I you know, I don't see President Ron Paul 2012 and let me profess that again with saying something I always have to say for the audience, he's the only politician I've ever written a check to in my life and I've continued to contribute to his campaign this year. I just think that my concern is that people kind of balance optimism and momentum with some patience because it took us over 200 years to end up in this mess from the founding of this country and it's going to take some time to deconstruct it and what I want people to do is like okay so at the end of this nomination period if we don't end up with Paul as a nominee and if I was a betting man in Vegas I would say I'd kind of bet the other way uh, that we don't go okay well now you know that's it the, 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 this whole thing the, the, the movement towards sustainability uh, individual liberty uh, toward accountability in government all of these things permaculture uh, all this stuff is, is integrated together and we're very early in this awakening and I don't want to see the momentum lost the way that I kind of feel it was you know the late 60s movement with, the, with the, the kind of the hippie movement and just kind of like everybody grew up and went to work and I think this, what makes this different is we've got young people, we've got middle-aged people such as myself, we've got old folks. I, I, you know, I've had people come to events and, and that were, you know, seventy-year-old lady. One was crying because, you know, she she ended up out of work and wasn't really ready to retire, but because she had reshaped her life, she was able to deal with that. And I think that that's what's different this time. That it's 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 all walks of life, but it's going to take a lot of persistence from here. We can't expect it to be tomorrow that we're going to be, you know, kind of where we're going. Well, keep, keep this in mind, though, Jack. Keep this in mind. The revolution in Egypt started on Facebook. For me, that gives me hope, knowing uh, that... You know, here's my problem with that. I ain't moving to Egypt under their new regime. Uh, that's not the kind of revolution I want to see here. Well, okay, we, we, can, we, we cannot direct their outcome, but what I'm saying is that source of information is on the Internet, and that caused revolution and it caused people to get up and take action and and I think that it's already happening here I mean the Occupy movement 
that's a big step in the right direction of getting people up and get them moving out of the house and, and making them more aware. So I'm going to be optimistic and say, you know what? There's Occupy movements going on all over the world, and, and there are people that are waking up and they're tired of tyranny and fascism and, and ready, to, ready to fight for what we believe in and our personal liberties and the Constitution and, and our governments are, 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 are corrupt and we, we need to make a huge change. So I, I, I believe because of the Internet, because we didn't have that years ago, because of the Internet, because of social media, there's a big chance that things could turn around for the good. That, that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> Oh, I think there's a great chance that it could turn around for the good. I think I, I don't think I could get up and do what I do every day if I didn't believe in the the eventual uh, reality. I just want people to be both aggressive and patient at the same time and understand this is a a long term battle that we're in for. But I think people like yourself and uh, and your husband Paul who are saying not just we these are what we believe and this is what we think and this is the way things ought to be, but saying until then I will go create as much as I can for it uh, myself. And then you're not going to like hide like some survivalist components and demonstrate and show to other people and say you can do this too. I think folks like you are a huge part of the change for the better. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I surely hope so. And, and every time people come to the tours, I, I get so excited because I – I'm thinking, okay, they know, they know, they understand it, they get it, they're, they're here, they, they made the, the first step in saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to make some changes in my life and I'm willing to, um, be more, more practical and more self-sufficient and, and go that direction. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I think I would feel very bad if I kept that all to myself. I think that would be very selfish and, and and we have to have that mentality of look, be prepared and be prepared to help other people too. We're we're social animals here. We we really um, we need each other, and and we'll be stronger together if if we kind of bond together and and say we you know we we can make a big change if we all kind of work together on this and look the same direction. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. And folks want to get in touch with you about one of your tours. What's the best way to do that? Um, the best way probably to find me right now is on Facebook and just look for Lisa Majors um, and just send me an email. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think they can see my telephone number there, but just send me a message. I go to Facebook just about every day, and I, I try to throw up some new pictures there so people can see what's going on. And um, hopefully uh, at some point I'll be adding more videos again. I'm just learning how to use Twitter, so I'm trying to um, – my son is already telling me, oh, you can put uh, videos and all kinds of stuff on Twitter. So I'm just now kind of a newbie to that. Um, you know, just when you get one social media figured out, then they throw a new one on you. <laughs> well, and then they change the way the one that you figured out works. They're changing the Facebook fan page layout right now. I've got to figure that out. But I'll make sure I put links to your YouTube channel and your Facebook page in the show notes for today. And, and I'd just like to thank you for uh, coming on the show and sharing with us what you're doing. I know a lot of people were really interested in uh, how you came to figure out how to do this and, and what kind of progress you're having. And uh, so we really appreciate you guys, and we appreciate the effort you're making on behalf of Individual Liberty. Thanks so much, and thank you for everything that you do and all the um, survival podcast stories that you have out there and the people that you talk to because information is key, man. we gotta we got to keep the information out there just so that we can 
we can learn from each other and, and um, keep moving forward. We, we can make a big change. So thank Great. you. Great thoughts there. I appreciate you as well. And with that, folks, today this has been Jack Spirico along with Lisa Majors helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Revolution is you.